So today, oh, hey, I want to I read you something. <clears throat> I want to read you something here. All right, so once upon a time, the government had a vast scrapyard in the middle of a desert. Congress said someone may steal from it at night. So they created a night watchman, a night watchman position, and hired a person for the job. Then Congress said, how does the watchman do his job without instruction? So they created a planning department and hired two people, one person to write the instructions and one person to do the time studies. Then Congress said, how will we know the night watchman is doing the task correctly? So they created a quality control department. They hired two people, one to do the studies and one to write the reports. Then Congress said, how are we... Uh, how are these people going to get paid? So they created the following positions, a timekeeper and a payroll officer, and they hired two people. Congress said, who will be accountable for all these people? So they created an administrative section, and they hired three people, administrative officer, an assistant administrative officer, and a legal secretary. Then Congress said, we have all this operation for one year, and we are $18,000 over budget we got to cut back something, so they fired the night watchman <laughs> and kept everybody else. Sometimes that's how life is, right? Just ain't fair. Just ain't fair. I want to talk to you today about the faith race. The faith race. You know, in the New Testament, there's different words that the Lord uses to describe this salvation experience we have. Um, sometimes it's referred to like the sowing and the reaping or the sowing and, and the harvest. Other times, the, the sheep and the shepherd. The prodigal son is actually a picture of, of salvation. So all these are illustrations that God uses to describe it, our experience uh, with, with the Lord. There's also terms that are used to kind of like, con, you know, to bring salvation into a concise word like the way. In the, in, the, in the book of Acts, it's called the way. It's called the kingdom of God in the Gospels. It's called believe and repent, you see. And all those kind of give flavor and add color to this experience we have called salvation. So today I want to talk to you about two words, the faith which Paul uses many, many times in the book of Timothy. He calls it the faith, the faith, the faith. And the word race, the faith race, as in running a course, okay? Those two words together, we're going to look at that and see what God has for us today. <clears throat> so in Hebrews chapter number 12, okay, scroll your phone over. Man, that's the first service either. I don't know what that is. Or turning your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, okay? <clears throat> All right, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are com compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your, in your minds. <clears throat> now, 
the key to this whole three verses is that word right there, wherefore. That, the word wherefore is a hinge word. It hinges what was said before to what follows after. So everything that Paul talks about really hinges on what he just got done talking about, which is Hebrews chapter 11, which we know is the faith chapter. Man, that's when God saw about all these people of faith and all these great things that these people did in faith and how trusting and believing God got them through, you see. So I want to talk to you about kind of basically two things, several different ideas about them. <clears throat> the first is there's a preparation to ensure a successful race, okay? Before you take any kind of race, you've got to do some things, some steps to ensure that you're going to finish. Now, the first thing here is consider the witnesses about us. Consider the witnesses about us. You know, Paul says there when he said, consider this group I just got talking about in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, all that they'd done. Consider them, all they went through, and this idea of faith and how it's, how it's, um, it's needed. In Hebrews chapter 11, in that chapter that he was talking to them, he says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, that's God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he, God, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It is impossible. It's needed. <clears throat> you know what? I, I, I doubled, I doubled, I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you. See that? Double dog dare you. You take any car. Boy, just take a car, you know, that's driving out there on the highway. Boy, you can soup it up. You can put... Things on there, I don't know what they're called. My daughter's boyfriend knows what they're called. They're pipes and contraptions. <laughs> you can tell I'm not a car guy, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and you put gas in it and, uh, and do all these things, and you can have this thing that's blowing fire out the back, right? But take out the spark plugs, and I'll race that car on foot any day. Because it ain't going nowhere. Because without spark plugs, it's just a hunk of metal. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible. You know, you could, we can do all these things we think for the Lord. We can come to activities. We can be involved. We can give, give, and give. And what, it doesn't matter. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You've got to have faith. We have so much busy work, and, that, and I'm telling you, work in the church is good. But, man, if you don't have faith and what you're doing is for God's kingdom is what God wants you to do, then it's really for naught. It's for naught. So it's needed. When we look about those that have gone before us, people that have paid the way in the, Christian, in the Christian walk, the faith that they lived and lived by, it's needed. There's also a purpose in Hebrews chapter 4, there's a purpose to faith. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there's a purpose of faith, as that is, it's 
its, its purpose is coming before God and seeking Him to get involved in what you need. It has a purpose. It has a need. It has a purpose. And it has a reward. I read about in Hebrews chapter 11 when he said, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, you know, if by trusting the Lord and having faith and staying in there, God rewards you. And it's not talking about like money or things or stuff, but it's, it's really in the heart how God rewards you. And God blesses. So not only are those that have gone before us, but I like how he words it. He says, seeing we also, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we also are compassed about. So he's saying, in a way, not only are those, you know, people compassed about as a, as a witness, but we also have people compassed about that are watching us, that are watching us. There are people watching you. You've told them you were a Christian. They're watching you. You know, when I was, um, I still am a, a father. <laughs> but uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. There's eight little eyes because I got four kids. Eight little eyes looking at me. That changed the way I did some things, you know. There's people at work know I'm a Christian. That changes the way I, 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 I say some things. It changes the way I do things. Because there's a, there's a witness, there's a people that have, are encompassed about me, around me, watching me. And there are people who are in your life who are watching you. you know, they know you're a Christian. You told them you were. They know you come to church every Sunday, and they're watching you. They're watching you. And they're watching, watching how you run this race. Because they're not going to jump in this race because it doesn't look like a very fun race. So they're watching you. So we have to consider the witnesses about us. How can uh, little Junior run the race if he doesn't think Daddy can run the race because his Daddy's not running the race? You know, I had a very close relative that was instrumental in me becoming a Christian, uh, going to Bible school and doing all I did. I mean, he, I mean, this person was instrumental. I mean, I, I thought, you know, if he would have stepped out on the on the out of the boat in the lake, he wouldn't have, he would he would have stood. He never would have sunk because th man, he was just man. I'm fired for the Lord and living for God, and it's just wow. But when he fell, I really thought, man, what, 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 what am I going to do? If he fell, I, I, how am I going to run this race? It really destroyed me there for a little bit. So there's people watching you. How can little Susie, that's the name I picked for little girls, right? How can little Susie run the race if mama can't run the race? That's what she thinks. So we've got to consider this group that's watching us, the group that's gone before us in our preparation for running a successful race. Now, the other thing he talks about is laying aside the weights. It says there, when he says, lay aside every weight. Now, I used to lift weights. 
Go ahead, laugh, because I know you want to. Thank you. I really did. Okay? And, uh, you know, you thought I was skinny now. I mean, I was skinny when I was, or I was skinnier when I was younger. And uh, eighth grade, I started started lifting weights in my bedroom. Got an old... um, cut an old broom. My mom still doesn't know I cut that broom. I said, what happened to that broom we had? I cut the handle off the broom and got my brother's weights in there, and I would took a board my dad had in the garage, and I stuck it underneath the bed, and I'd lay it on the bed, and I'd do my weights in there. Started off eighth grade because I knew I had to do something. <laughs> when I um, got in high school, 10th grade for, for me because I'm old, high school was 10th, 11th, 12th. That's high school for us. And so when I got in 10th grade, I went into the weight class, you know, the weightlifting class. And we had to do that. And um, so, um, believe it or not, I used, to, I used to squat three 45s on each end. So that's 315 and a couple 25. That's what I used to, four sets of eight. That's what I used to do back when I was in high school. That's what I got up to. I'm a wiry kind of guy, right? But the thing we had to do before... At 10th grade, before you, because the weightlifting was the second semester in that school, before you could take the weight class, and, which would have been second semester, then 11th grade, 12th grade, you had to do a running class the first semester. And all we did was run. You, he, he, when you got changed out of the gym, he's like, go. And we would take off at first, run a mile, run a mile, run around. And then we... After we ran the mile, we did stands for the rest of class. That's all we did, stands. It, it killed me. That killed me, man. But I was determined. I wanted, I, this is the only way. And, man, guys fell out left and right. Guys quit all the time because they couldn't make that first semester. But, I, man, I was determined. But I'll tell you what. I never grabbed one of those weights and went jogging with a pair of dumbbells. You know? I might be a dumbbell, but I didn't carry an extra one with me, Right? I knew better than not to do that. Paul says you have to lay aside every weight. That's that encumbrance. All right? I'm just going to tell you how it was. Back in this day, they understood that because the precursor to Olympics, which was done in this area in Rome, they ran without clothes because they didn't want any weight, anything to hinder them, so they ran without clothes. I don't think I would have gone to that race. (laughs) I think I would have skipped that Olympic, that Olympic race there. But that's what they did. Okay? So God says, you know what? You have to lay aside the weights that drag you down, things that hamper you, things that prevent you from running like you should run. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, the parable of the sower, Jesus said this, and talks about the, the sower that came and the seed that was sown. And it says, In that, the seed that was sown, that which fell among the thorns, Luke chapter 8, verse 14, are they which, when they have heard, they go forth and are choked, choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world and bring no fruit to perfection. So, you know, he's not saying that cares are sinful because, you know, you got to care for your kid. you got to care for your job. you got to care for your health. He's not saying that riches are sin. 
He's not saying that things, that the good things in life to enjoy, you know, nothing wrong with sitting down in a football game or going skiing or playing some video games, enjoying life and having the, you know, the pleasures. But it's when they choke you. It's when they pull you down. It's when you can't run the race because all these things are dragging you down. Now, like he said, he used the, words there, he used the, the word there, every. He said, every weight so it implies that there's more than one there's always these things in life there's just so many things that are just happening to us and dragging us down and the lord says there or the author there says man you got to lay aside that stuff you got to lay it aside if it's if it's if it's a burden if it's dragging you down now i'm saying you can't drop your husband <laughs> get me wrong i'm saying that all right but you know what i'm saying Right? Can't drop your wife. But, you know, there's someone maybe in your life that is a burden. You might have to put some distance. Lay aside those weights. And the second thing you have to do, you have to lay aside the sin. He says there, lay aside the weights and the sin which so easily besets us. Now, Paul can be talking about talking about three different things. He could have been talking about the general sin that, you know, all sin, sin everywhere, kind of the thing, you know, like that. Put aside all sin. He could have been talking about um, unique sin, like a, a sin that's unique to you that's not really a sin to me. He could have been talking about kind of like maybe there's a, a sin, the sin that all Christians struggle with. I kind of believe he's talking about all three. Because there's definitely, you know, just the, the, just the sin of life and things that, that everybody deals with, that we all have to struggle with, that can beset us. You know, there's that unique sin maybe to you. Maybe there's that sin that you struggle with that, I don't struggle with something that, that just hammers you and hammers you and you just keep keeps bringing you down. Now I said before, boy, you could you could you could fill this church and I don't even know really the terms, but I think it's like called like bourbon, right? That's a drink, right? Alcohol. Okay, like bourbon and whiskey is tequila, right? Is that an actual drink? Okay, like you can all right, so you can fill this place. Uh, that doesn't tempt me at all. You can put all kinds of drugs in this place, man, pills and weed, and because and, and, I've never done either one. I've never drank, never smoked, never did drugs, nothing. That, that doesn't tempt me. But maybe somebody else, and that's their burden, man. That's their, that just gets them. And they can't, they can't see a, a shot glass with something in there. They just, you know. And that's your besetting sin, and it just trips you up and trips you up and trips you up. God says, man, you've got to put that thing down. You've got to get victory over that. You've got to get over that, or you can't run the race. But, you know, also there's this, there's this um, sin, I think, that's universal to all Christians as far as we all struggle with. Because when he said in verse 12, I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 1, when he said, wherefore, talking about that he, um, chapter of faith, all the heroes of faith before, when he said, wherefore, considering them, I think there's a sin that we all struggle with, and that's that sin of unbelief. 
The sin of unbelief is what all Christians struggle with. We all struggle with not trusting God, not believing him, not believing that he knows. It says there in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, Jesus said, And straightway, when this father who had a sick child came to him and asked for the child to be healed, Jesus said, If you'll only believe, the child will be healed. And this is what the father said. It says in straightway, Mark chapter 9, verse 24, Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, only Christians really understand that because a, a, a person who's not a Christian is like, man, that doesn't make any sense. How can you say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief? But I'll tell you what, a Christian understands that. We struggle with that because we believe all these things about God, but then there's certain, certain things we don't believe that we struggle with. You know, I always said, you know, I believe God can do it. I just don't think he will. There's been a lot of people who've been sick. A lot of people needed God to heal them, and God didn't heal them. I believe God can. I just don't believe God will. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. A lot of times we say, Lord, I believe you can. I just don't think you'll do what's best for me. You know, Lord, I, I believe you can, you can fix all my problems. I just don't think you want to. I think you want me to stay like this. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe God can do anything. I just don't think God wants to do it. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So, you know, we struggle with that. We struggle with unbelief. And as we saw before, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we have to lay aside the sin that easily besets us, that hinders us, that trips us up. <clears throat> now we have to go into the second thing, and that is there's an obligation. Not only was there a preparation, but now there's an obligation. When you look back in this verse in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, let us run the race that's set before us. That, that let us run is, is called a polite command. For a Christian, there is, is no um, choice. You are commanded. If you are a believer in Christ, if you turn from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are commanded to run. It's a command. There's no choice in it. Let us run. Now, it's not a competitive run. It's a, success, a successful run. Okay? I'm not running against you, and you're not running against me. It's not who can get over the line first. It's about who can finish. Okay? You ever seen one of those, uh, you know, I've seen a couple of those videos where the, you know, the people ran, and they turn around, they finish, and they turn around, and they start cheering those that are coming on. Come on, man, come on, you can do it. Get up. That's what it's about. It's not about, hey, I'm first. It's not that at all. It's about finish the course. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I had finished my course, I have kept the faith. 
So that's the idea is to finish. The Bible says a righteous man, and we've said this many times, he falls seven times. Seven times he falls. But the difference is the Bible says he rises up again. He rises up again. My testimony, you know it. Those that have been a new life, no, I, I quit on God. I was a preacher, went all the school, all the education and all that stuff, but I got mad at God, and I said, I'm going to preach for you. I'm not going to give to you. I'll go to church because I know it's good for my kids, and that's it. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm done. I'm done. And I got out of the race. But you know what's kind of funny? When I get in my car to go to work, I go, oh, God, please keep me alive as I drive. Lord, don't kill me. You know? Went to work, worked at a prison. Oh, God, please keep me safe in this prison as I work here. I still feared God. I still feared God because I knew I was in his hands. I was just mad. Just mad. So he says, it's not an option. Okay? And it's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. He says, run the course with patience. He says, run with patience. That's persevering endurance. Paul says, I finished my course. You know, it's not a, it's not a golf sprint. You don't golf sprint. It's a golf course. You take your time. Hey, man, if, you, if you're about six par or whatever it is, I don't even know what it's called, but, you know, you're a couple over, hey, you just you go to the next hole make it up, right? That's what you do. It's, it's a course. It's, it's something you steady. You know, when we, we, we had to go, um, the bad thing about when we had to go running and when I was in high school was that all the girls out there playing tennis at the tennis court. So you didn't want to be the last guy coming in, right? So we would sprint that mile, and we would sprint. We would run as fast as we can, you know, and just be dead and then run the stands. I remember coming there and, and laying in, the, in the, the gym, the change room there, and I could hear myself breathing through my ears. That's how bad. I was, and I'd about pass out. But that's not, it's not that. It's not, God didn't say you got to sprint. God says it's, it's a course in which it takes patience. You got to get in there and you got to run and you've got to, it's, it's, a, it's a, the run of your life. It's for a life you're running. It's a course. You got to stay the course. And then he says there, it, it's not only, it's not an option. It's not a sprint, but it's unique to you. See, it says, let us run the race that is set before us. See, Paul said, I finished my course. So the thing is, is that God has a course for you. See, God has a race for you to run. It's not my race to run. I mean, I can help you. I can cheer you. I can do what I can, but you've got to run that race. God has that course for you. You know, God told me, he said, hey, Case, I got, a, I got a course over here for you to run for me, my friend. Oh, I know that, that no, not that, not that course. That's not your course. I'm like, well, God, man, he's got a pool, and he's got a boat, and he's got two brand new cars. No, Case, that's not your race. Your race is over here. I say, but Lord, look at that guy. He got that big old house and that nice job and a big old bank account. 
And the Lord said, hey, that's not your race, Case. That's not your race. Your race is over here. This is my race for you. I got your race right here. I said, man, Lord, I went all these years and 20-something years in school, and you don't want me to pastor? And God says, that's not your, that's not your race. Your race is over here. This is, this is one I set for you. I picked for you because I want you to run it for me. See, God has your race picked out for you. And the worst thing we do is we look at somebody else's, somebody else running. Oh, man, they got that. You know, I'm running there, and they're on a moped. Man, that's not, Lord, that's not right here. You know, they get a motorcycle on this race. Oh, man. I should, God says, don't be looking at it. That's their course for them to run. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's ahead of them. You don't know what's behind them. You know what they're dealing with. You know what their struggles are. You've got to concentrate on your race that's before you. Now, worry. I mean, yeah, we worry. We, we, we're concerned about others, but you know what I mean by that. I'm talking about envy. I'm talking about wishing that you were over there, wish you had that, wish that that was my course. God says, no, I've I got a course for you. This is yours. You're, you're mine. You need to stay the course. It's unique to you. <clears throat> Now, you know, in all these things, you know, we, we've got the, the, those that are about us, that are ahead of us, and that are, you know, watching us. I'm telling you, I just want to say, you know, Christian, you, you don't realize, you say you're a Christian, you tell people you're a Christian, people know that you trusted Christ, and the eyes that are watching you, you, you have an obligation. You have an obligation to run your course. I didn't know it, and maybe you've heard this before. I didn't know it, but when I was sitting there at the lunch table as a senior with my Bible on top of my books, and I had my lunch tray, and back then, if you know school food, you better pray for your lunch <laughs> before you eat. And I bowed my head and I prayed for my food in front of all my friends there around the table. I did not know that my very, very best friend sitting right next to me, Eric, was a Christian the whole time. Never knew, but he was scared. I was scared too, I'll be honest with you. But again, I thought God was going to kill me if I didn't. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, son, if you do not pray for your food. <laughs> okay, Lord. Yeah, you know. But I did. I didn't know that was touching Eric's heart and convicting him every day when I did that. He told me later on that was the reason that God, I mean, God used it. He went on several mission trips and eventually um, went to school, seminary, is now a pastor up, I believe, in Massachusetts. And, man, it was, it was a cool note that I had a part in that because I, I just ran my race. I just ran what the course that God set before me. And God says, you know what? He gives an encouragement. He says, looking unto Jesus there in verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Man, Jesus went to the cross. He, he knew what his course was. You know that? He knew what was ahead of him. I mean, the, the good thing is we don't know some of the tragedy that's, that's ahead of us. But he knew, and yet he went anyway. And he went to that cross for you. Endure the cross, despising the shame. 
I mean, again, he, he was, he, they, they took his clothes from him, so he was naked on that cross. You know, we, we put a garment on him to keep him decent, but he, there was, it was terrible. He did that for you. Despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him. Consider him. Let us run the race that God set before us, that God set before you if you're a Christian. Now, you know what? Maybe you're not a Christian. You know, maybe you've never turned from your sin and turned to Jesus as the Lord of your life. Then you're not even in the race. You're not even in the race. Okay? But today, today could be that day for you. Today could be the day that you turn from who you are and what you, what you are, because we're all sinners. And turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He has saved you and put you in that race. And you can run for him. Amen. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, Lord, we do thank you so much for Christ who endured the cross, who went through all the things um, of his ministry, Lord. He, he uh, lived the life of a man. He, he went to work, and he had to eat, and he was tired, and he was hungry, and all those things, Lord. He endured that for us. And we have such a great Savior, Lord. Help us, Lord, to think about him when we run the race, to know that we're doing this for Jesus. And we're doing it because of what he's done for us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, has never truly come in a, in a personal way to you, Lord, and trusted you as their Savior, that today would be the day that you'd convict their heart, Lord, show them their need. We just pray, Lord, again for Doug and his family, that you'd bless them and uh, bring them back to us safely, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.